distance is small and we all ought to know each other really well. But the truth is we're a very diverse lot and we come from different places and we need to hear each other's stories. And uh, one of the stories that we want to take some time to hear this morning is the story of one of our newest uh, friends uh, joining us in worship, uh, Sahar Joyu. Um, and uh, she is uh, with us from Saudi Arabia. And if you know anything about the world, you'll know that Christians in Saudi Arabia represent, well, shall we say, a minority, um, like less than one-tenth of one percent of the population. In fact, it's illegal to convert to Christianity in Saudi Arabia. So Sahar is here breaking the law, uh, but that's what we do as Christians. Um, and so, sister, come and uh, share with us your story. Uh, we want to come to know you and love you as a congregation. So, blessings to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And happy Mother's Day. Um, my mom and I used to be very close, and she was my best friend. But now she's not pleased with me, and here's why. Uh, I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia in a Muslim home. And I grew up learning the Quran and, you know, learning that's the only truth, the last revelation of God. So in Saudi Arabia, it's illegal to learn about any other religion. We can have books from other religion, but they teach us about other religions from the Quran itself. So I had all these false ideas about Christianity. And I grew up with that, but I grew up in a loving home and my dad passed away when I was seven. And we had to move to my grandpa's house, and they're very strict Christ, uh, Muslims. And it was so hard, the death of my dad and living in this strict environment. I hated my life, and my dream was to leave Saudi Arabia and have the freedom I deserve as a woman. The educational system was so bad in Saudi. So my dream was to leave and have a better education somewhere else. And finally, the day came in 2006, I got a scholarship from Saudi Arabia to come to U.S. And I came 2006, 2007, I was walking in the campus and an American lady named Cynthia came to me and she was talking to me about life here and I was fully covered and she noticed that I was a Muslim. And she was talking to me about life in America and all that. And she gave me a track. And I had to go to class. And I told her, I'm sorry, I have to go. I don't have time to talk about this. But we exchanged contact. And she kept calling me. And then we met. And she asked me what I know about Christianity. And I was going to Chico State. It's a party school. <laughs> so that's all what I knew from back home and living in Chico. You know, Christians that have no morals. They drink and party all the time, and they worship three gods, and all these false ideas. So I was telling her that, and she's like, no, that's not what we believe. We don't believe in three gods. And she was sharing scriptures with me. And I was surprised because all what I learned was wrong. But in my mind, what they taught me in Saudi Arabia, the Bible is corrupted. So I wasn't sure if it's authentic, it's right, I didn't know. But I was listening to her. But her faith 
was strong in God and she seems to know a lot. So we became friends since 2007 to 2011. We've been talking about the Bible and the Quran. I, I went to church a lot and we developed this friendship and she loved me. I used to argue with her a lot about my faith, but all what she gave me is love. She would care about me and talk to me and she will never get offended. And that was amazing to me because in Islam, people love to argue and prove their right. But she wasn't like that. She was peaceful about it. And then in 2011, I graduated and I was looking for a job. And I told her, I don't want to go back to Saudi Arabia. After I experienced the freedom here and life here, I don't want to go back. And she told me, you know what, maybe you can work for my dad's company. He has a company in Boulder, Colorado. And I'm like, sure, <laughs> I would love to work for, for the company. And she arranged for me to work there. And at the same time, because she knew I was open, asking questions, I was curious about Christianity, uh, she arranged for me to live in an international dorm called Horizons International. And there I met a lot of Christians from a Muslim background. And I actually believe Jesus is God. And that was amazing to me. I'm like, wow, I need to sit with them and ask them. So we became friends, and I sat with them, and I heard their stories. And I was very touched by God's work in their life. It was amazing. And um, I started going to church, asking questions, reading the Bible with them. But still in my mind, Jesus just is a prophet. He's not God. Maybe he's doing all this by the power of God, but he's not God. And then uh, I was there for an internship three months, and then I was promised to have a job. But because living there and have, having all these confusions, I said, I don't want to be there anymore. They confused me so much. I, should, I was born a Muslim. I should die a Muslim. I don't want to talk about religion or anything. So I decided to come back to California, and I found another job. But everything they told me, everything we talked about, started coming back in my mind. Especially the verse that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I start hearing it day by day. And I'm like, what if Jesus is the way? What am I going to lose if I just read the Bible and search? So I decided to leave Islam. I was done with Islam. And I told God, you show me the truth. I don't want to believe in anything. You show me. But something draws me to Christianity. So I started going to Arabic church and American church, asking questions. But whenever they say Jesus is Lord or the Lord Jesus, I get very offended. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to believe that. He's not. He's just a man. I don't think God will ever, you know, love that idea, making a man God. So I started going to church, and I was very confused for five months. But I love the teaching. I love the Bible. And I started reading the Bible, and at that time I was searching for Jesus, who he is, and what did he say about himself. And uh, I wrote some verses. To me, it appeared that Jesus is not God. And then I called my friend Cynthia, and I told her, you know what, I loved Islam. And she told me, what are you? I told her, I'm nothing, I don't know. I believe in God. I never de deny his existence, but I don't have a religion. But I love going to church. And I told her, Islam is its not from God, I believe that. But Christianity is confusing, and it doesn't make sense. And she told me, I would love to sit and answer your questions and talk to you. But I've been doing that throughout the six years of our friendship. But maybe because I grew up in a Christian home, 
and I can't really relate to your Muslim mind. I will find somebody who was a Muslim and became a Christian to talk to you. And she was searching in my area and she found one of her friends. He was a Muslim, became a Christian. So I met with him and I told him, the Bible says, Jesus said, the father is greater than I am. And when they asked him about the hour, he said, he doesn't know. And I told him, if he's God, he should equal himself to the father. And he shouldn't say, I don't know, because God should know everything. And we started talking, and he shared with me his story. And his story was amazing. He has an encounter with Jesus, and he shared with me. And I told him, you know what? I heard so many stories, and I loved him. I believe that happened to you. But how can you make sure he's God? Why do you believe he's God? Maybe he, he's just a prophet. God is using him to send you a message. And he told me, I've been searching a lot, and for two years I would hold the Quran and the Bible and ask God. And he answered me through Jesus. And I believe his word is the truth. And I told him, mm, this idea of salvation <laughs> doesn't mean, mean anything to me. Like, how can God be a child? And then people kill God? How is that possible? That's not logical. How can you explain that? And he told me, now I can relate to your mind. I know what you're struggling with. He told me, just imagine yourself dressing up to go to a really important meeting. And then you see your, your child falling in a hole. He told me, would you go help? I told him, yeah, of course. He told me, would you send somebody else since you're already dressed up? I said, no, I'll go myself. He's like, yeah, that's what Jesus did. He came himself to rescue us because we're all sinners and nobody can save us. Even prophet, they cannot save us because they have sin in them. Only God, he's holy, and he came to rescue us from our sins. And he told me, if you're a sinner and you're willing to do that for your child, how much more God can do for you? And he told me, God is love, God is joy, God is peace, God is everything good. And apart from that, you can have fellowship with God. And Jesus already took care of that. He took your sin and the cross, and he gave you a new life. And he told me, if you just put your faith in him, you will feel God and you will have a relationship with him. And he asked me, do you pray? Do you talk to God? I told him, no, when I left Islam, I just told him, if, you, if you're there, just show me who you are. That's, all, that's it. But he knew in Islam, we don't have a relationship with God. It's like God is there in the throne somewhere, giving you laws to follow. And then in judgment, that he will judge you, but no relationship at all. So I never knew that. And he told me, just talk to him. He'll answer you. Talk to him about anything. He's the only one who will give you the truth. So I went home, and I loved what he said. God loves me. I love the idea. And I loved it here, but it didn't really sink in. I'm like, really? He loves me? God will come and die for me? And then I was reading the Bible, but this time I was looking for God's love. And from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. straight, I was reading the Bible, searching for love and just reading scriptures. And then I remember he told me to pray. And for the first time, I lift up my eyes and I prayed to Jesus. And I told him, if you're God, if you came to save me, and this book is the truth, the absolute truth, I want to follow you. I just love your love for me. And when I read that, I opened the Bible, and I believe God took me there to show me that verse. It was in 1 John 4, and it's all about love. And 418, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
as soon as I read that, I was filled with joy and peace. And I, I felt God's presence. It was very powerful in the room. But most stories I heard, they, they had encounter with Jesus. They saw him. So I was looking for him. Like, Where is he? Is he here? But I didn't see him physically. But spiritually, I know he answered me. And he gave me a new life. And I remember the second day, I was driving my car, looking at the world. Everything changes. The whole world changes. And I had just such love for people that I never had before. And I know he changed my life forever. And a month later, my, two of my sisters became Christians through visions and dreams. And then six months later, my brother became Christian too. And guess what? My mom's coming tomorrow from Saudi Arabia. And she's not happy with me. And she believes I am the one who converted her children and you know, made them leave Islam and all that. And she'll be here for a month. And I've been praying for her. And I know the Lord is doing something. And I would like you to join me in prayer. Thank you. Sahar, thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, we, we want to pray for you and your mom, um, and we don't want to be glib about that. Uh, it's easy for us in the West as Christians to say, oh yeah, we'll pray for you. And then, oh, wait. But this is a big deal. Um, and, and especially coming in this season, it can be a really hard and emotional time. So we want to lift you up in prayer. We're grateful for your testimony. We are, we are grateful that God has crossed our paths so that we can learn how to love better by being friends with you. So uh, would you join with me in prayer for Sahar? And then Greg's going to lead us in a time of congregational prayer. Father, we come to you through Jesus, our ever-present Lord and Savior, teacher and friend. And we give you thanks for our sister Sahar, for the love that she has discovered through you. She has, she has found that your love casts out all fear, that uh, your love brings hope, that your love is the starting point for peace. Lord, you have transformed her life, and we see the evidence of that. We see the fruit of that. And we give you thanks for the privilege to walk with her in the journey of discipleship. Lord, you know what lies ahead. As Sahar's mom comes from Saudi Arabia, she's unhappy with the conversion of her children. And it would be very easy, very easy to simply say, it's because you're living in the West. Lord, we pray that through whatever means, through the testimony of love, through dreams and signs and wonders, through whatever way you choose, you will you will show Sahir's mom your grace 
and your love and your mercy. And that uh, we audaciously pray that she too will come to faith in Christ. Lord, covenant us. Remind us to pray for Sahir daily. Remind us that this sister is part of our body and that we love her very much. Walk with us in the days and weeks ahead. Grant us all courage to be one in your spirit. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So I'm pretending that I can actually function in the 21st century. Um, Bear with me. Since 1914, uh, when U.S. President Woodrow Wilson signed the first proclamation establishing Mother's Day, the second Sunday of May has been designated in this country as a day set aside to honor our mothers. Anna Jarvis, the founder of the holiday, um, celebrated the efforts of her mother, Anne Reeves Jarvis. Anne Reeves Jarvis was a Christian peace activist during the Civil War. She fought for abolition and then tended to the sick and wounded of the war regardless of the color of their uniform or their skin. And then worked in the post-war community organizing efforts to care for veterans and their families. We didn't know about post-traumatic stress disorder in the 1870s. But Ann Jarvis knew that families needed support. She did all of this while raising a family herself. And her daughter, daughter Anna Jarvis felt that the contribution of women should be acknowledged and welcomed in the American experience. All of which makes the spelling of this holiday a touch ironic. Anna Jarvis insisted that the day set aside on our calendars to honor mothers should remain designated by the singular possessive mothers, M-O-T-H-E-R apostrophe S day, as opposed to the plural possessive mothers, M-O-T-H-E-R-S apostrophe day. The holiday was to be a space in our lives to remember our mother, not to become a commercial for a generic societal role. Punctuation does matter. Let's eat grandma means something very different depending on where you put the comma. Think about that. I suppose that punctuation makes the day even more challenging for me. On the second Sunday of May in 2014, both my mother and my mother-in-law were living. Now on this Mother's Day, they've both passed on to their eternal rewards. And it makes a day like this bittersweet. Because my mom, Mary Wright, was not easy. If you think I'm hard to deal with, you should have met my mother. I learned it from her. She experienced a lot of pain in her life, and she dealt with it by bottling it up so deeply that she couldn't acknowledge much of it. A child of the hardscrabble southern Ozarks, she experienced poverty, hard work, and painful family relationships long, 
long before she left home as a teenager. As I've been looking back in the last days and reflecting on her life, I realized afresh how life was hard work and struggle for her. Love, like everything else in her life, had to be rationed pretty carefully because the supply of love, like the supply of everything else, wasn't, couldn't be guaranteed. But that's where my mom's personal story and the Christian story tend to part ways. The Gospel text this morning from John 15 is a teaching from Jesus about the essence of love. In the passage, Jesus makes three key assertions about love. First of all, he says that the source of love is the Father. Love originates with the same God who continues to cause the stars to explode in the heavens. Love doesn't begin with my biochemical reaction to stimulus. Love begins with God. God is the creator and sustainer of love. And love is like no other thing in the universe, an inexhaustible resource. We are aware in our society today in California how finite some of our resources truly are. But love is that resource which is infinite because it comes from God. The second thing Jesus says in this passage is that love's highest calling is friendship. The essence of love is to be friend, to put into action, to be, to make a verb out of all the behaviors another needs to experience in order to feel dignity and worth. To be friend is our highest calling. In fact, one of the renewal movements in the Church of England in the 1700s was the Society of Friends who, whose friendships shook them to such depths they began to colloquially be called the Quakers. They were friends of one another. They didn't recognize social status. The only thing that mattered is that you were my friend and I was your friend. Love is, friend, is love's highest calling is friendship. And then thirdly, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus tells us that we've all been chosen by God as recipients of his love. Love doesn't wait God's, God doesn't wait to love the well-deserving. We don't get into a space where we finally have arrived at being a participant in God's love. God's love is always there. Always. God loves all of His creation and invites those of us to catch a glimpse of that love to give it to others. We are, we are not needing to figure out how to get God to love us. God already does. 
passage from 1 John 5, 1-6 then offers us a couple of concrete expressions about how God's love works in the church. Remember, John is writing to a group of people who are fighting with each other, but they're fighting about the right question. They're, they're fighting about who is Jesus? And one faction in the church was clearly saying, well, you know, God, God's love really is only for those who have attained a certain standard. And that's a really, really difficult standard to attain. In fact, it's really unrealistic. And against that sort of argument that, that seems to go in circles, God's love is hard to attain, John argues that God's love is total and complete. That the church is called to follow Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, who offers us salvation. And if we follow Christ daily in life, we will love one another. That's what following Christ daily in life ultimately means. The truest test of our discipleship is not our theological orthodoxy. The truest test of our discipleship is our love for one another. God, give me a church full of bickering believers who challenge each other's theology but love one another deeply and joyfully over a church full of theological conformists who hate each other's guts every day and twice on Sunday. Oh yeah, God did just that. It's love for one another, for our enemies, into the unknown. It's love that measures our discipleship. And in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 5, John then pivots away from this polemic about love and reminds us that God's love is made clearest in Jesus. The Jesus who lived, the allusion to water, and died, the allusion to blood, so that we would be able to know and hear the Spirit of God in our lives. So that we, too, would be people of love. This morning we've given testimony to one another about how God loves us through Christ. We've done it through the bread and the cup. We've heard Sahir's testimony. To be a Christian is to no longer be afraid of God, but to allow God to welcome us into a life defined by His love and nothing else. Nothing about our identity markers matter. Nothing about our histories ultimately define us. All that matters is that God loves us. And so this morning, a couple of questions to think about. What are the other considerations that we place on people around us apart from the call to love one another? What do we place on people and say, yeah, I'll accept them if they do this. I'll... I'll like them if they believe that. We'll welcome them into the body if they do X. What are the other considerations we place on people apart from the call to love one another and 
what will it take to get us to stop that? Because all that matters, all that really, ultimately, truly matters is that we love one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, in a cautionary word to those who love Christian community. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. So friends, let us love one another, not with the finite resources of our identity-driven affections, but with the inexhaustible supply of love given to us by the creator of the universe himself. Pray with me. Teach us, Lord, how to love one another. It's our highest call. It's our dearest hope. It's our toughest job. Teach us how to love one another in the body of Christ. Teach us how to love one another not yet in the body of Christ. Teach us how to love your creation as your creation. Teach us how to love. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.